0: Support for Podcast By Night is provided by Midnight Syndicate. To learn more, please visit MidnightSyndicate.com. welcome once again everyone to podcast by night i am your host john i'm jen with us once again is logan say hi logan hi yeah some of you might remember logan from previous podcasts regarding um, such favorites as malkavians which was amazing so we wanted to bring him back for nosferatu because you know oddly enough uh, logan are you still playing your nosferatu he's around okay well, in our previous game of Pillars of Salt, Logan played Lurk, who was a fantastic Nosferatu, really set the atmosphere for the game. And I've told him so on more than one occasion. It's true. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, he actually showed up to the event, even with like a veil over his face to keep the masquerade. You know, he actually made an effort into costuming for this. and was very, it was tasteful because we were out in, the, in public. You know, you couldn't go hog wild. But it was tasteful and still kept with the theme of the character. I was like, Logan is a player after our own
0: heart. Absolutely. I do try. Well, you succeed, and we're happy to have you. Excellent. All right, so, Jen, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Nosferatu?
1: We are. We are going to be talking about the clan that's usually colloquially called the Sewer Rats. They are probably the most... Recognizable of all vampires in, in society because, well, unlike a lot of other vampires, Nos- the Nosferatu actually wear their monstrousness on their physical form. So they can't hide their true nature from the world like every other clan can. But despite the fact that they have this physical encumbrance, they are still considered to be one of the smartest, uh, most in the know clans in the entire world because you cannot have a secret in the world of the Camarilla without the Nosferatu finding out about it.
0: That's right. It is a well-known stereotype among kindred across the world that if you need to know what's going on or you need to find a secret, you go to a Nosferatu because they're kind of like the secret mongers, the, the hubbub. Their ears are literally to the ground because sometimes they're underneath the ground as well.
1: Yes. You know, they're their bodies are physically twisted, and they're warped by their vampire blood. So they have to hide out in shadows. They're underneath. They're down in the sewers. They're hiding like a clown down there, just watching everything you do.
2: <laughs> like a clown. <laughs> like a clown with a balloon.
1: We all float down here.
2: <laughs> that could totally be a ma- uh, NOSF
0: with uh, Obfuscate. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's come up.
1: Because uh, that's not creepy or anything. So the the consequences for the Nosferatu ultimately is that, you know, while a lot of other clans might ignore them because they are so twisted and freakish looking, they're the ones who have all the dirt on everybody. So you can never quite just ignore the Nosferatu. They may look monstrous, but they have all the information On you, And either you're going to want it, or you're going to sell it, or you're going to want to hide it. So, at the end of the day, who's really got the power
0: here? Later on, we are going to discuss how they go about doing that. Because if you're that ugly and monstrous, you do develop some innate ways to get around everyday society and protect that masquerade while getting your secrets. But, you know, like most good stories, why don't we start at the beginning, Jen?
1: So, the Nosferatu like many of the clans have a story for why they are the way they are and where they came from. And with the Nosferatu, the story is that they were cursed because their clan founder made kind of a boo-boo made an oopsie. So the story goes that their, their founder, Abysmilliard who was supposed to be this great hunter um, kind of like Esau from the Bible. He was this great hunter, who, but was also very handsome and very vain about it. He was hunted down by his sire when he was still immortal for the embrace, because, hey, if there's this human who's this great hunter, I bet he'd make a great vampire. So in the ensuing chase, that he gets embraced as a vampire, but it left him with this little teeny tiny scar but he resented because you know I was perfect until you went and destroyed my perfection, and so he apparently held that against his sire for you know I don't know ever and eventually uh, uses that as an excuse to kill his sire. This killing of his sire earned Cain's wrath against him, and so in his wrath, he cursed as Abbess Milliard with being having his beauty twisted to reflect the darkness inside his own soul. So, you know, it's a very dramatic story, you have to admit. It's very biblical.
0: Yeah, I, f- I tend to find that all, a lot of these, uh, you know, progenitor stories are.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: That's because they're supposed to be happening around the same time frame.
1: Well, yeah, but it's all the drama. All the drama, you
0: know. Absolutely. Also,
2: Cain learned from his grandfather, sire, depending on how you want to look at it, as far as drama goes.
1: Yeah. So I mean, in his in his anguish over this itty bitty perfection, he goes and kills his sire, then he gets cursed for it. So unfortunately for as Abbas Milliard's childer, all of whom were hunters themselves, they all kinda got hit with the same curse. Except for one maiden. And she was this beautiful maiden who he had found and he had cared for and made into a vampire but she ran away because she didn't want to be a part of all of this and in running away she did not escape the curse she got cursed too but so did all the hunter children and this is important because what happens is they say that the maiden who ran away she became a crone and that crone is the actual progenitor of of all the Nosferatu that most people are going to run across in modern nights. And she was able to hide herself, to keep herself safe, and to pass along her skill set to her children and her grandchildren and her great grandchildren. The seven other childer who were the hunters, they became this line called the Niktuku. And the Niktuku would never forget her betrayal.
2: They're dicks
1: yeah they would never forget her betrayal so they vowed to hunt her down and all of her descendants and they are said to do that to this very night so some say that if you uh if you're not careful when you go down into the sewers to see to see an Osferati, you you may never know what you run into down there because it may not be an osferatu you run into so the, the reason being is that some say that, that, that they are hunting down the maiden and her children to right the wrong of Abbas Milliard towards Cain, and other, other saints out of vengeance to her for betraying their sire and running away. It's not clear. It depends on the story. But that whether there's any truth to any of these stories or not, there is one thing that's absolutely certain, and that is Clan Nosferatu, one and all, every one of them expresses a physical deformity in some form or fashion. And some are worse than others, but no two deformities are alike. And this happens at the embrace with them. So every Nosferatu is going to have some kind of deformity, even if they're one of the lucky ones who maybe are a little less deformed and can kind of pass in human society they still have some sort of painful deformity that marks them as Nosferatu.
0: As a player, it's one of those things that I find every every little clan, or every clan, sorry, has a little detail that I think sort of denotes how to approach the clan as a player. And the embrace of a Nosferatu being that it physically twists you, has got to be excruciating mm-hmm. so there's there's something there to keep with you if you if you play an osferatu just remember you know how I got this way it was not fun, and oh yeah, toreador as you go over there you're over there talking about oh i 'll be beautiful forever, like yeah well, you know my my arm is now a tentacle, great, not all of us got so lucky so yeah there's there's, there's always a little bit of um psychological trauma that's going to go along with that you know you wake up and you look in the mirror and oh my god you're you know the joker looks better than you
2: it really is just a fantastic opportunity for role play here because of the costuming choices that have to come with it because of the uh, body posture the movements the um, voices you can do just you can really take your imagination away with it because it gives so many opportunities for like you said john My arm is now a tentacle. That's represented within the rule structure. You've got physical deformities you can have that actually change you from just a leper-looking humanoid. You can be truly alien.
0: Right, yeah, representing that that monster, that beast within outwardly, and I think that's fantastic.
1: And additionally, I mean, when you think about what happens, because many of the, many Nosferatu, when they're embraced, they were more often not just normal people the minute they get embraced they go through this absolutely painful process so that also like you said John that has a psychic effect so as a player you can decide how that what that effect is on your on your character are they a bitter person because of it are they slightly demented Um, are they sad and depressed all the time do they just not give a fuck
0: right are they like a little Conan like well, it didn't kill me, so it must have made me stronger.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can spin it.
2: Horribly, monstrously resentful of it, like their initial founder. Their founder's founder?
1: Because of this and the, their outward appearance and what happens to them physically, the Nosferatu have, long, for a long time, have taken to hiding themselves far away from the eyes of normal humans. And so that means they're often in the places in civilization that other people avoid.
0: I I love the idea that in the beginning, they started out with caves and tree hollows and and dens far away from the the growing human civilizations. Because, you know, let's face it, in ancient cities, it's really hard to, to hide until the advent of, well, I mean, you know, there was other things too, like the catacombs. They would hang out in graveyards leper colonies these were really easy places for them to be that that they didn't stick out and they could still do their thing and be who they are
1: yeah i mean in more ancient times obviously sewers were not as big of a thing until you got romans coming around um there wasn't a lot of underground places unless you had a mine or tunnels so yeah catacombs leper colonies any place where the unwanted were pushed out to so where the crazy people and the unclean and the the outcast of society went, that's where the Nosferatu hid.
0: But like you said, with the the coming of the Romans, that sort of goes into what the, the Middle Ages, when cities start becoming a thing. And so so do sewers, because you have to have all that waste go somewhere. And that, that makes it much easier for the Nosferatu to gulk through and find out, Oh, you know, there's a there's a meeting of the elders tonight. Well, I can get in there through the sewers, where before you'd had to, I don't know, follow a a train of lepers through the town going to get alms from the church.
1: Especially when you have cities that have that center on a large fortress or a keep or a castle or anything like that. When you have a city that's growing around something like that, there's always dungeons, there's cathedrals, there's monasteries a lot of these buildings that start being erected during the like mid to late middle ages, they there's a whole system that goes with them. And those are great places for Nosferatu to hide, especially if you're a Nosferatu, who's like you said, you're hiding amongst the poor who are going to the church, looking for alms, or maybe you're a monk who's hiding and who is hiding out amongst the other cloistered monks. And you've got all these secret hiding holes you can go and hang out at. And, and, and so this allows, this, the this cityscape really becomes the perfect hiding grounds for the Nosferatu because you can still be close to society that you need to feed from, but there's all these nooks and crannies and hidden places that no people, places people don't want to go to. And that's where Nosferatu is going to go hang out because no one's going to come looking for
0: him. And as we said with the, the advent of the Camarilla during this time period of the, the late Middle Ages, uh, again, we have, you know, in every clan we've discussed, we talk about like the high clan and the low clan. And as you might imagine, being how they look and how, you know, some haughty Ventru is going to look down on these guys, they are a member of the considered low clans.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, when you have the Toreador around, did you really think they were going to let the Nosferatu be a high clan?
0: No, but that's the thing. It's like the Camarilla thought, hey, you guys need us more than we need you, but uh aha, they know all your dirty laundry, Camarilla high clans. Uh (laughs)
2: Aha!
0: And they love to air it at the worst possible time, unless they get their money, or favors. And I think that that definitely... Creates a um a symbiotic relationship as I'm, I'm I think we're gonna come to because you know the Inquisition and all of that they're they are they are one of those clans that benefit greatly from the founding of the Camarilla.
1: Yeah, and they're also one of the clans who gets kicked around the most. So it, it's sort of like this tenuous relationship, a little like the Gangrel. It's like we benefit from the protection of the Camarilla, but you all give us a lot of shit. So at times the Nosferatu. Can seem a little fluid in their allegiance to the Camarilla. Not as much as, say, the Gangrel or even the Bruja, but they have kind of a broader mind sometimes about crossing those boundaries because at the end of the day, they they want to make sure they're safe. And it's really in a lot of ways about the Nosferatu against everyone else. Yes, the, the Camarilla offers protection for them that they pro- they really need it, especially with the with the Inquisition at the door. But at the same time, if if the high clans get a little too haughty, they're not above like digging up that dirt and undermining them if it's in their best interest.
2: Oh, they can absolutely take their vengeance. In fact, I'd even argue that they are the most not important, but the most consequential of the clans in the Camarilla. The most necessary. That's the word I wanted. They are the most necessary clan in the Camarilla. Without them, the entire thing would crumble, be taken down by the Sabbat or the Anarchs.
1: Yeah, I could see that because they're the ones who are the information mongers and they they can spread both good and bad information all they want. And if, so that's the. It's on them that the Camarilla rests and they are one of the main pillars supporting it. But they're not treated like. A pillared clan. A lot of times they're kind of, like, ignored, forgotten.
2: Told not to come to Elysium tonight because we don't want to deal with your scent, your smell, your sight. And to be frank, if the Nosferatu were to leave, be killed, the Camarilla would crumble because none of the other clans dirty themselves like the Nosferatu do
0: happily speaking of dirty, as we discussed with the Nosferatu getting in the growth of civilization and cities, it became harder for them to find those places to hide. So they had to invest time, effort, resources into large, sprawling hiding places within these cities so they could operate.
1: And those uh, hiding places are called warrens, which, you know, kind of makes sense when you think about it. Uh, they're layers usually hidden uh, from human beings. the human world sometimes they're underground sometimes they can be above ground but it's a place where they where they can let the mask off they can just be themselves and without fear of mortal discovery so these are often places that in a city they're kind of unsavory to most average people they're you know they're the tenements and they're the ghettos they're the sewers or the crumbling buildings or you know, what have you. They're the place where there are fewer prying eyes and have more cover to hide.
0: And with, like, as we've discussed with the Mulcavians, with the changing centuries sensibilities on what is considered physically different, shifted, and changed as human society also did.
1: The Nosferatu have kind of adapted kind of the same way the Mulcavians have because human society has changed its viewpoints on the difference of human physicality. So... In a lot of ways, some of the things that uh, would have caused a person to be outcast because oh, I have a deformed arm or, you know, a hunchback, those things don't necessarily get you as outcast anymore. So this has caused the Nosferatu to have to kind of adapt and make do, and they can still be involved in the city itself, but then because they still are kind of on the fringes they then can go down to the wardens the warrens are kind of like a whole city unto themselves whole domain unto themselves underneath the physical part up above so they can hide down there from if there's a prince who's being like a jerk face if there's a particularly discriminating prince who doesn't like to look at Asfratu. If, if the humans are a little too scandalized by the like weirdo in a wheelchair on the street corner, um, they can go down to these underground cities that they built these warrens and and what most people don't understand about the Nosferatu is that they have this huge presence in most cities. I mean, you may only see one or two Nosferatu, but there could be like dozens hiding out in the sewers and. And it's a much bigger population than most people would expect, and because the Nosferatu modernites can be found in all sorts of, of hiding places, you may never ever you may never find them. I mean, they can be in the sewers, they can be found amongst the human populations, um, they can be hiding in plain sight. Like I said, like the Mulcavians, modern society has gone through a huge shift in in how we see people who are a little weird and different, and that. A Nosferatu doesn't have to go hanging out in the caves anymore. You can just be the weird homeless guy wrapped up in blankets in the middle of July um, sitting in a wheelchair. And most people are kind of not going to think twice about it. You, you may still stand out a little bit. They may give you a glance. But in today's society, it's so impolite to stare at people or draw attention to a, someone with a physical deformity, especially in American society. We don't like to do that. It's like, oh, well, we, we can't point out that that person looks a little weird. At least it used to be until recent years. So so Nosferatu, a lot of times, can just hide in plain sight. Because as long as you're like, I have, a, I have all the most important bits covered, no one's going to ask too many questions about who's that weird guy sitting in the wheelchair on the street corner. Because no one wants to ask those questions.
0: Jen, that, raises, that actually brings up a really good, uh, another role-playing point. The idea that in previous modern nights, with homeless shelters and guys on the street and dive bars being extra divey, like, you know, actual what you would see in a movie from the 80s, it was really easy for you to be the uh, the crazy drunk in the corner hanging out that everybody just left alone. But nowadays, we kind of, in the modern 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 nights, we actually live in a more... If you see something, say something world. And so, as a player, I would say that's something, depending on where you are, like if, depending on where your campaign is set, your Chronicle could be set anywhere. But if it's in one of major cities, you're going to have to figure out a way to play around that.
1: Honestly, I think one of the, the, the primary areas where you'll find Nosferatu in most modern cities is homeless encampments um, and seedy neighborhoods.
2: Depending on the deformities, leather bars.
1: Yeah. Fetish clubs, depending on the
0: deformities. Uh, Wharfs, you know, like that with tentacles. You could be the uh, some some rather Lovecraftian kind of horror that is a ghost tale down to the wharf, but you're not really a ghost. You're a Nosferatu.
2: Well, that too. But I was going with um, all that leather, the uh, rubber, places anywhere they can be and acceptably hide their selves, their faces, their bodies. Oh, you mean like
0: completely covered? Yes yeah yeah good point yep
1: so in most domains you will find that there's at least one warren um and that's that's the usual hiding place for most nosferatu but like we said you can be you can find them above ground in any one of those places there's lots of different uh lots of different paths you can take with a nosferatu in terms of hiding in plain sight but if you were like, well, but I just want to go hide from the sunlight right now, or I need to not be around humans, the Warren is usually where you'll find a a Nosferatu. And they are famous for their lore and knowledge of the sewers. So if they're not above ground, Nosferatu are often below ground, kind of spelunking and finding like new weird things. And... Um, And it's amazing the kind of critters you see living in the sewers of any given city. And they are very knowledgeable in what lives underneath the city. Most vampires are a little creeped out. They're like, you know, I don't need to know that there's strange alien beings living in sub-levels of the sewer. I'm okay with
0: not knowing about that. And as we said uh, before, historically, the the Nosferatu have been considered a low clan, which, you know, back in the day, the, the social well, lack of gravitas actually was a was a, against them. It was not in their favor, but as, you know, they were kind of tolerated, kind of like the gang girl, the Malkavians, but as time went on, they found out that, hey, wait a minute, these guys, they'll do the things that we don't want to do, which is another reason why, like Logan said, you know, they'll, they'll, they know where the bodies are buried, you know, all of them, that in fairness, no prince has ever been able to just get rid of them in a,
2: in a domain. And it has ended poorly every single time they've tried.
1: Yeah. Right. Much like the Gangrel and the Malkavians, they get treated with a lot of suspicion. And there's many a prince that has tried to outright ban the Nosferatu, especially from Alicia at various points, because, you know, oh, they look funny or they smell weird or we can't have the mortals looking at them. They're walking masquerade breach. And in fairness... um. You know, sometimes the Nosferatu like to ignore these edicts and, you know, but like Logan said, many times this has not worked out well for any prince who has tried to do it because the Nosferatu just find ways to work around it. You know, a prince who who tries to successfully remove the Nosferatu from their domain would be foolish to even try.
2: Because isn't it interesting how his main rival now has all his dirty secrets? Or isn't it strange how the Sabbat snuck their war party right into the prince's haven? Oh my god, how'd they even know where the doors were?
1: Hmm, odd how that happens.
2: <laughs> strange, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Never cross the Nosferatu. No.
2: Never crossed the Nos.
0: Well, and because of the Nosferatu do lack the social and political acumen, quote unquote, uh, of the sect... They do become rather adept at doing, the, making their mark, their stock and trade, in the things, like we said before, that the Camarilla won't do. They become very highly valuable at all of these, un, I don't want to say underhanded, but it is dirty, and sometimes their tactics are underhanded. I mean, skulking around, digging up secrets, that's a little below board. They're absolutely considered
2: underhanded, but that doesn't make them wrong or any less valuable. And frankly, the Nosferatu are happy to do it because, hey... Who else is gonna do it, and at such reasonable
0: prices? I know, right? That's right. <laughs> Boons going cheap. Yep. <laughs>
1: so because the Nosferatu just naturally need to hide, um, they've become quite adept at doing this whole like like uh, espionage in the shadows. Look, you know, spying technique that you need to kind of you know get the dirt on everybody. That it gives them a vantage point that they can. Listen in and observe and watch everything that's going on around them, and so consequently, as we've been saying, Clan Nosferatu have become intelligence gatherers. Uh, you know, they are without equal in the Camarilla. Like nobody, nobody has the skill at this that the Nosferatu do. So, if there's information to be had openly or not so openly, chances are high they'll know it they'll know where, it, or if they don't know it, they'll know how to find it. And if it's there, they can find it. And the NOS to employ uh, all the arsenals, all the arsenal they have to kind of like find this information. And they have a lot that they can do, you know, everything from they can listen in to creating networks of informants, kind of like I always think of uh, Fagin from Oliver Twist, you know, they have, or... Well, no, I'm not gonna make another Game of Thrones reference. Let's go with Fagin from Oliver Twist, Um,
0: or or Sherlock Holmes,
1: or Sherlock Holmes,
0: the Baker Street Irregulars, with
1: the Baker Street Irregulars. You know these networks of informants of or versus the spider,
2: because I'll make the reference even though I don't know what I'm talking about.
1: (laughs) You made the reference, Logan. I was not gonna make the reference. No,
2: I freed you from it. That's our job. (laughs) What, what happened? Did, it, did
0: a little bird tell you?
2: Ah, well, I might have seen it, might have read it. The, how, where it came from, how it came from, not part of the deal. What is part of the deal is you now owe me a minor boon. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it.
1: But <laughs> Locke in the short is uh, they, they create these networks of these marginalized people that serve as informants for them. Also, too, the Nosferatu are not just like Low tech, they don't know just no surveillance on the low tech side, they're also involved on the high tech side, too. So, a lot of Nasratu are very skilled at computer hacking and net and systems networking because hey, they're underground, anyways. And guess where all those lines go?
2: That's just the logical extension of their domain,
1: it's the logical extension of their domain, and so they're very high tech. They have computer networks that they're able to get into. They are, are consummate hackers. They have their own network of information called Treknet, which we will get into a little bit later, that they can find just about anything on. Um, and so these guys have a crazy amount of information that they can access at their fingertips if you're willing to pay the price.
0: And as we said before, no. <laughs> no price is too high no job is too low exactly and you know and the nosferatu they're they're very comfortable with this position they're they're just fine with where they are it makes them invaluable indispensable and the princes from any clan are they'll they'll, they'll be happy to have them
1: yeah you'd be wise to cultivate a good relationship with the nosferatu
0: and it's
2: not that difficult it really isn't with how they're treated normally Say please, say thank you, and treat them like people. Most of them are going to be your bestest friends forever, just from that. Exactly. Although that won't affect their pricing.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. But there's always something. Everybody's got an angle. (laughs) And a price. That's
1: true. So, as you can guess from this conversation, the Nosferatu can parlay this ability they have into protection for their clan and political gains for their interests. Uh, they don't have the sheer force of influence that, say, a Ventru or a Toreador might. But they certainly know where all the Ventru and Toreador bodies are buried. So, you know, it's like, well, Mr. Ventru, you may control all the banks in Southern California, but I know how you did it.
0: Right, and I've got proof.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They know where that last Tremere regent went.
1: The Unconeo? I mean, wait, what? <laughs> so... While the Nosferatu do have a powerful position, their position is powerful because it's not the leadership position. It is They do not have a target on their head. And they like it that way because the minute you have a target on your head, then people are paying attention to you. And that does not help your cause in the least bit if people can see you doing what you're doing. You don't want them seeing how the sausage gets made, guys. So princes are very few and far between from the, from clan Osfra too. There's been one or two that in modern nights that have been referenced and they usually never last long because they prefer their politics down low and dirty and in the background, you know, the less attention drawn to them, the better.
0: I think positions that would be best suited if you, if a player wants to have a court position, uh, Scourge springs to mind. Um, obviously if you are more politically if you have that bent to it and you and you can play the game uh, primogen is probably as high in that circle as you're going to be
1: and most of to kind of like it that way
0: keep hey you know what they're, they are able to affect change better when they're not in the driver's seat yeah being prince is way
2: too public you don't want all that light on you makes it hard to skulk
0: yeah and, he- and heavy is the head
1: it's got a big target on it,
0: yeah, and you can't make any decisions without somebody following up behind you and being like, Why'd you do that?
1: When you got against this, man,
0: yeah, exactly. Come on, guy.
1: So, they're not too, as a clan, unlike some of other clans, they're not particularly organized in a hierarchy, you know. They're, but even though they're not super organized in terms of like you know, a hierarchy or who's the leader or you know, who's in charge doesn't mean that they are not united in terms of purpose. And In fact, the Nosferatu are, ins- are insanely united in terms of purpose. The Nosferatu are not particularly organized as a clan in terms of hierarchy. There are other clans who are extremely organized. We're going to hit up two of them, actually, here in the near future, Tremere and Ventrue. But the Nosferatu aren't. So they're not going to be particularly picky about, like, I am an elder, you must listen to me, or what's your rank in the clan heck. But what they lack in hierarchy, the Nosferatu make up in a united front in terms of purpose. The Nosferatu are completely united together as a group, and they you can't really mess around with one Nosferatu without pissing off the, all the rest of the Nosferatu.
2: Because who else is going to have their back, frankly?
1: Yeah, I mean, they all have each other's backs.
2: They occasionally have friends outside the clan, but most of the time they can really only depend on each other. Because, again, they are those outcasts and those freaks and those disgusting, dirty, dirty sewer rats climbing up out of their dens, and can't they just go back down there forever?
1: Yeah. And speaking of those dens, most of those warrens that we've been talking about are organized around this concept of a brood. So a brood of Nosferatu is really just a group of Nosferatu in a city who all live in the underground warren system. And like we said, the warren system is a little bit like a small city. It's down there in the dark. It's under the domain. And like we said, there's a lot more Nosferatu down there than usually anyone in a city ever knows about. And they all kind of look out for each other. That that's the unit they operate under. And honestly, the Nosferatu. I mean, like we said, it's a painful transformation to become a Nosferatu. And often, you know, people who are singled out to be embraced are not exactly the most social to begin with. So usually, the only the most social Nosferatu that you. That you see in any brood are the ones that go topside. They're the ones that deal with the court and you know hang out with all the quote unquote respectable people in alicia and then they come back down to report to everybody. Okay, here's what the prince determined is is going on right now. So they're the ones who go topside. There are some who are so antisocial who who just don't want to have to deal with going up above. Um, that they just stay in the Warrens and they never associate with kindred society. Um and they're perfectly okay with that. <laughs> so you may there's some Nasfraci you may never ever see topside. Um and that's not to say they may not have communications topside, especially some who are on the on the hacker side of things. They may be down there on their computer chatting away, but you'll never see them topside.
0: I see. I'm I'm definitely getting this this vibe from the, the theme of the Nosferatu as far as um, like their goals, lack of hierarchy. There, there's a reason they're calling them sewer rats. Yeah. Because it definitely seems like loyalty and survival are their key modus operandi. Yeah. They, make, they become like the perfect survivor vampire. Well, other than the gangrel, maybe.
1: Yeah. They, they're loyal only to each other. And they look out for each other. They protect each other. And their first and foremost loyalty to the clan is always going to trip the the Camarilla. It's really a survival thing for them because they're going to only care about what's best for them. And if it serves the Camarilla, great. But if it doesn't, well, you know, tough luck for you, but we got to look out for Numero Uno. And in a way, you can't really blame them because, you know, they're the ones who are the most high profile and could be picked out for you know by hunters in a new york minute um so often leadership within a warren will be on a, sing- a single leader or perhaps a group of, of older leaders who you know they're more experienced older knows for ought to, who just have seen more of the world and they're the ones who kind of really just direct the warren and the policies regarding okay who's in and who's out and how do we manage what Nosferatu comes in, where, and, and, you know, what kind of information they have. Because they have their they may not be hierarchical, but they do have their own internal policing. Because you always have to be careful who you're letting in and out, even amongst the Nosferatu. Because you're like, well, yeah, you may be twisted and ugly like me, but how do I know that you're not an enemy spy? So, you know, they they do have their own internal policing uh, Programs and it's different from every Warren. So in theory, you have these leaders who kind of are the guides for the Warren, and then they delegate duty to the younger Nasratu, who see to the general protection of the Warren itself.
0: I see. Okay. So is there do, is there a name for the uh, this Warren leader?
1: Not really. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Well, I mean that
2: suit that suits the clan. It changes from city to city. Some do, most don't. Usually they just go by their given names or whatever their handles happen to be.
1: There is sometimes this concept called the Warren Master. And this is very common when you have several Warrens that are all linked together, where you'll have someone who is sort of like the overseer of those Warrens because it takes a lot of architecture to build those Warrens. So it's someone who may know all the plans of how those Warrens were built. Or maybe it's someone who has... Invested a lot of influence or a ch- uh, childer or what have you into a lot of these warrens. Maybe they're an elder who uses these warrens as part of their information network. So there is this concept of a warren master, but it's it's not really like there's no, nothing hard and fast. Again, the Nosferatu are not known for being super hierarchical.
0: And that's the thing. Talking about their survival, they're they're bent towards protecting the clan. I mean, one would say that. They're obsessed with safety and protection, but that's not—you know—just because you're crazy doesn't mean they're not after you. There really is something hunting them from the shadows.
1: Yeah, and so they're—they're they're super protective of their warrens. They're super protective of each other, and they're—they do not trust strangers. They just don't. So clan leadership often rests heavily on the idea of who's most able to protect the clan. That's both in the interest of the Camarilla. And in the warren itself. So for the Nosferatu, you're a leader if you can prove that you can do what's needed to protect the clan and maybe the Camaria, if it's in the clan's best interests. Um, and if you're a leader who feels any of this, it could split a warren and which is dangerous. It's like splitting the party in D D because now you don't have everyone there as a sense of group protection. So, either you split the warren or you oust the leader, and if there's a leader who's seen as too weak or too incompetent, the Nasiratu are more than willing to, like, kind of vote him off the island, as it were. So, sorry, you failed. You're fired.
2: Meaning, interestingly enough, they're one of the clans who don't put a lot of stock in how old or how pure your blood is. Yeah, they don't. A modern leader is sometimes better because, hey, they know the new tech. They know the new techniques. They've had more time to know how people are going to find us tonight.
1: So the Nosferatu's obsession with safety and protection—it's it, not just creepy paranoia with them. There really is something.
0: When with all this paranoia that they seem to have with security and survival, you know, like like you guys were talking about the leader, it has to be strong and you know serve the clan. But it's not, you know, what do they call it, draconian? It, the no. idea is that yeah. The idea that uh, one might consider it being a little over-paranoid is is not false, because there is something out there hunting them, whether it be from their past, whether it be the Sabbat trying to infiltrate the Camarilla, the Inquisition, still out there.
1: Yeah. So, as yeah, yeah, a marginalized clan, because, a little like the Gangrel, to a certain extent, They often the Nosferatu often fall prey to anyone who wants to test the Camarilla's defenses, uh, especially the Sabbat, because the Sabbat aren't stupid. Guess what? There's Nosferatu in the Sabbat, so they can go find these warrens and they can kind of push and test and see how protected they are if they want to try and infiltrate a Camarilla city.
0: Oh yeah, they know they know where they're hiding too because they've got. I mean, they have the same practice, right?
1: Exactly. On top of that. The sewers, like I said earlier, they're kind of a weird place uh, with all manner of weirdo creatures living in them. So, you know, a lot of Nosferatu have tales of these weird magical beings who live down in the sewers. There's like werewolves and albino alligators and aliens who are like super creeptastic, you know.
2: Hey, those aren't really aliens. They're fairies.
1: No, no, the Wujanka are not fairies. So, I mean, we're talking about... The Jogob. Yeah. We're there like Guillermo del Toro level of nightmare, right? It's Like these weird alien, like spirit, wormy things. They're pretty gross. Uh, So all these things pose a threat to the Nosferatu because if you're a Nos who's out exploring, you're like, I'm going exploring today. Like, you know, like the dwarves in Snow White, you know, hi-ho, hi-ho, I'm going exploring down that cavern right there. All by myself, and you don't have backup, and you don't know it's down there, you might just become lunch for a weirdo alien critter.
0: That's one thing I find fascinating of, about the Nosferatu in their own little world with these warrens. It's it, it's 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 like the underworld in more ways than one. You know, most people don't think, oh, you know, the, like like Logan, you said about fairies, you know, like, oh, the magical things happen in the forest, in the woods with the creatures. <laughs> and it's like, no, there's some really crazy. May, it may be darkly magical, but yeah, it's a wonderland under your feet, too, pal. <laughs> Underland. Underland. Yeah, There you go. See, there, good connection.
1: So perhaps the largest threat to the Nosferatu, and it's one only whispered about by the eldest of the clan, are the hunters that are known as the Niktuku. And we mentioned the Niktuku back in their founding story with Abbas Milliard. Like we said, that there were seven hunters he had embraced who all got cursed, and the one crone who got away. So it is said that the Niktuku are members of that original brood of seven hunters, are still alive and they're still hunting down nosferatu and carrying out their bloody purpose all these millennia later and it's not known if the story is true or not it's kind of one of those those myths that get passed down it isn't known if the story is true or not but what is known is that the oldest nosferatu that anybody knew of the the oldest nosferatu with great power and who was feared she her name was baba yaga she was killed she was this ancient russian nosferatu like ancient like she is the one that the stories are based off of and she died that really shook up the nosferatu community because they're like who the hell killed baba yaga i thought she was crazy i thought she was a story and now somebody killed the biggest baddie in our clan
2: who can kill a legend but another legend? In this case, the story goes that it was a small blonde girl who wasn't really a small blonde girl. That's just how she chose to portray herself, called Vasilisa. And I'm sure I'm butchering that horribly because my Russian has never been great. But she came upon Baba Yaga, and Baba Yaga went to her death almost crying.
1: Ever since Baba Yaga's death, there have been whispers in the warrens of. The Nictuku beginning to surface again, and for some Nosferatu, the Nictuku are a scary legend that they tell fledglings and neonates to keep them in line. You know, don't don't misbehave yourselves, or the Nictuku are going to find you. But there are more than a few tales of things that have frightened even the elders, um, enough that they would abandon their cities and abandon their warrens if there's even a hint of a Nictuku
2: and there are some times that nosferatu just go missing
1: yeah they just the one night they're there the next they're not and nobody knows why
2: no one will ever see them again no one will ever hear from them again and it's just another one for the nituku
0: did white wolf ever create like okay boom this is what the nituku are or are they yes. you know oh they oh they did
1: yes but i think it's in the
2: They've got them in a couple of places. It's one of those things they kept adding to and changing a little as time went by.
1: It is it's like I think the latest incarnation was even different from the way it used to be. So
0: I was just wondering because it's like one of those things. It's a, a delightful little mystery, you know, a boogeyman that you you never ever find out about.
1: And the worst thing about the Nictuku, and I think this was the most recent V twenty change to to it. And I don't remember if it was Modern Nights or Dark Ages, but um, <clears throat> the cool thing about them is, is that the Nectuku, unlike the regular Nosferatu, can hide in plain sight because they can. They start out looking beautiful, and the older they are, is when they get uglier. And I was wow. like, "Wow!" Oh, oh, that's not that's not nice. Oh, that's fucked up.
0: Yeah. Well. They put
2: forth, I think, not necessarily a list, but there were a couple mentioned, and among them was the knuckle of E, which is this fantastic thing from um, Gaelic mythology. Uh, I could be wrong there, but it's this thing that looks like a skinned man riding a skinned horse, except they're all together and they have arms that reach the ground.
1: Hmm, that sounds tasty.
2: <laughs> Nightmares, I love
0: it.
1: I'm like, man, that, that that sounds like something straight out of, like, uh, scary stories that we used to read in, in elementary school. That sounds Scary
2: stories to tell in the dark?
1: Uh-huh. Sounds I love those. straight out of
2: there. I think we all love those. I, I hope so. But no, they've got to be something ugly enough to make the Nosferatu afraid.
1: But I, I figure that the Nictuku, they are, um, they're the boogeyman. They're the boogeymen and women of the Nosferatu worldview because they are always hiding in the shadows, but what if you can't hide even from them? And, and that really reflects their foundation story of how the maiden turned crone was able to escape and hide, but her siblings who were hunters, she, she always had to be one step ahead of all of them. So, and there's something just creepily horrific about that. For the Nosferatu, as much as they can control an entire domain on the information that they provide, can't run. you can't run
0: forever. That kind of brings us back to the idea of why the Nosferatu keep hanging out with the Camarilla. Again, it goes back to their survival. Because, like, I know we had it happen in our game where the Niktuku came calling. And the court actually was like, yeah, sure, we'll help you out. It became a plot point. And so... You know, I I mean, yes, that seems a little more egalitarian than some of the uh, other cities that not, you know, in the world of darkness. But it just it's to the point where as a group, they fear these things so greatly. So as a as a group, the Camarilla possibly can help them and take them down. So it's quid pro quo. It's uh, you know, that's why that's why they're sort of they're still there. They're still members.
1: It's the idea of safety in numbers, you know, and finding safety beyond the clan, uh, because the Niktuku are hunting Nosferatu. They really don't care about any other clan unless they get in the way. So, of course, the Nosferatu want to have allies. You know, if you're afraid of the thing going bump in the night, then you want to be finding people who are going to help, help protect you from it. But, as we said and mentioned earlier, that... The Nosferatu really are kind of all for one and one for all. They, they, they always look out for each other's back. And so an interesting quirk to this relationship with the Camarilla that the Nosferatu have is that for the Nosferatu who did not sign on the dotted line with the Camarilla, for those who decided that they wanted to join the Sabbat, the, the Camarilla Nosferatu didn't, until recently, they didn't quite close the door on their Sabbat brethren. At the end of the day, the Nosferatu tend to see their duty being to clan first. And they often would cross sect lines for the mutual benefit and defense of the Nosferatu clan and for information gathering. And, you know, the, that line, that strict divide between Camarilla and Sabat was a lot more fuzzy with the Nosferatu as a clan
2: because when it comes to clans unprotected sects are the best uh,
1: oh. We're gonna have to put the Michael Steinbeck a rule of just one pun per episode on you, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I I agree with that Jen but that that was pretty good.
1: I admit it was pretty good. So with the Nosferatu, like we were saying, that line between Camry and Sabat was a lot more fuzzy until recently. In BNS by Night Studios uh, Minds Eye Theater book, it is the canon is stated that this this fuzzy boundary, this mutual cooperation between Nosferatu and Nosferatu Antitribu is shattered under circumstances that aren't widely known. There's talk that there were acts of political expediency that might have involved the betrayal of the Nuspratu to to Tribu uh, that earned their anger at their Camaria brethren. Uh, and it's not really clear what happened. All we know is that centuries of cooperation between the two sides were destroyed in just a few short years. And it's a little, a little fuzzy on whether, on what exactly happened now be interesting when we start digging into B5 once we've done all the Camaria clans and we start digging into the changes to those clans in B5, whether that plot point stays or not. So I'd be interested just to see that.
0: I'm, I, as much as the next person, I love the, the vagaries, the mysteries of why this happened. But I will say, canon-wise and storytelling-wise, eventually they're going to have to tell you because they might create a resolution at some point.
1: Exactly. Out beyond the Cameria and the Sabbat, there are Nosferatu who exist outside of those two sects, especially among the courts of the Ashira.
0: I admit, I gotta read that book.
1: It's one of my favorite non Western sects. And like their Cameria brethren, the Nosferatu you find in the Ashira courts, they're focused on their own protection and their own survival. Because they're in the Ashira courts, which are in the Middle East, Many of them are very, very Muslim, and there's a lot of respect afforded to them in the course of the Ashira because of the tenets of Islam. There's a lot more. They were they were not seen necessarily as much as of outcasts as they were say in Europe. So there's quite a few Nosferatu who are, who are well-known leaders in in the course of the Ashira in a way they never could be in the Camarilla, like ever. And in particular, there was one Nosferatu named Tarika Hajj, who was a blood sorcerer. We don't know how. I don't know the particulars of how he he was a Nasratu who was a blood sorcerer, but he was. And he gathered some Nasratu who who were also very religious, like himself. And they were able to use their blood sorcery to control the effects of the Keening in the Middle East. Now, what the keening is, is that um, at, at Mecca and Medina are, are the holiest places in all of Islam. And not far behind them, there's also uh, Jerusalem, which is considered an uh, extremely holy place uh, by Islam. And all three of those areas are in that one Middle Eastern peninsula. So that creates a lot of true faith in one geographic area. And for vampires, that's, that's a lot of bad mojo. You know, for most of them, they could not handle it. So what the, the Hajj, this bloodline of Nosferatu, were able to do is they were able to create an effect that helped both keep the holy places protected from the influence of vampires, because these are the holiest and purest places of faith for the Muslim world. But it also allowed Asherah court members to come and go and move about the air, er- the geographic area, without corrupting these these very holy places. So. It, it, it's a very, and it's not clear how they do it. But I've always been fascinated by it. I was like, oh, that's really cool. So there, it said that most Nos, Nosferatu who've disappeared from the Arabian Peninsula and modern and, and modern nights, and it's not really clear why they've disappeared. It said it, we just know that modern nights, most of the Nosferatu have gone, either have they've moved elsewhere or they've just they're just gone. But the Hajj remain, and they. They still remain in the Middle East, and they still remain in Mecca and Medina to protect the holy sites and ensure that they're that they are not tainted by the evils of the world.
0: Now, Jen, you said that the the Hajj is are they a separate bloodline from the regular, I, I guess, crone embraced Nosferatu?
1: I'd have to go and do the research again to see if there's. It, what their disciplines are to see if they are a, a completely separate bloodline. They might be. It's been a while since I looked at it. They, But they are there is a blood sorcery aspect that they have that most Nosferatu will, will not have. So what is known is they're deeply, deeply pious and you're probably never going to run into a Hajj in a typical Camarilla game because why would they be leaving Mecca and Medina like Ever. Because that is that's their their sacred mission and duty is to protect those places from the evils of the world. But I'd be very interested if you're running a Gehenna uh, Golconda plotline. I think those guys would be way interesting to look into.
0: Oh yeah, well that's definitely going to be something for everyone to look forward to. With V five, is that once they release the the storybooks for what the the Sabbat Crusade? Right, that's what's happening out there. Is like mm-hmm. the they're, everybody's rallying to uh, the Middle East because something big's going down there, and we don't know exactly what. But yeah. I'm pretty sure the ashura are going to be at the forefront of whatever it is.
1: Yes, they are.
0: So with Nosferatu society, as we've talked about before, being at the fringes of, of civilized world, this is where, where a lot of their children are going to come from. Because, you know, you have a lot of people that are, who they embrace tends to be, they find a lot of their childhood that reflect being on the fringes of society. Be they, uh, well, you have like uh, the homeless people, street walkers, not not women of the night, sorry, the street artists, people that are typically like um, graffiti artists or taggers, even um, people that are antisocial you know, like the the bearded guy living out just outside of the city limits, you know, tinkering with bombs or, you know, what is he building in there? They tend to come from misfits, mentally ill people that are just not quite what's the word? They they've fallen through the cracks is typically where a lot of their their embraces come from. And but that's just sort of the stereotypical. There is another group, a smaller group that most would say would be considered revenge embraces. <laughs> they call the, they're, they're nicknamed the Cleopatras because even though they've gone through the the change, if you will, you know their bodies have been twisted like most Nosferatu. They really their attitude really hasn't changed, and so it sets up this wonderful sort of uh, dichotomy of looks versus role play. You know how how they how they act their their attitude towards society that would be fantastic again, for, um, for role players to, you know, consider when, they, when they're considering their Nosferatu characters.
1: Yeah, the Cleopatras I, f- I find fascinating because imagine you were the pretty, like, queen bee alpha in high school and then you get revenge embraced like this. How is that going to, like, mess up with your... I mean, let's be honest. You probably had some self-image issues to start with if you were already kind of that vain and self-centered about looks. And then, boom, now you're an Nosferatu. How's that going to mess everything up?
0: You know, I love the idea. This kind of goes to, back to the beginning. You know, you have this this vain attitude of based on your looks, well, guess what? we got some karma for you. <laughs> yeah, and
1: the Cleopatras very much are in the vein of Epis Miliard.
2: Right. And it doesn't even have to have been anything that the Cleopatras did personally. If they were being groomed to be a toreador and the toreador grooming them pissed off the nos well guess who's now a new nos you liked their beauty so much look at it now
1: yeah right yeah that's, that's not uncommon you know oh
0: feel sorry for them
1: you may not have done anything it may not even be a revenge against a toreador it could just be you know fuck it i hate pretty people because i'm ugly yeah i like,
2: know that feeling <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was that logan Nothing. Oh um,
0: <laughs> if you would like to reach us after our normal podcast hours, we can be reached on Facebook at Podcast by Night, on Twitter at By Night Podcast, or at our email at podcastbynight@gmail.com. At